This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio design. Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, Executive Director of Energy Makes America Great and the companion educational organization, the Citizens Alliance for Responsible Energy. Each week, I have the opportunity to draw America's attention to some energy issue. I tend to like to address issues that are not widely covered in the media. As I often say, is if Rush is covering it, if Sean is covering it, if Glenn is covering it, I don't need to. However, every now and then, there's a story so big that even though it got lots of media attention, I can't ignore it. And such is the case with this week's topic. You may recall on March 13th, Hillary Clinton at a CNN town hall gleefully declared, we are going to put coal miners and coal companies out of business. As soon as I heard that comment, I tweeted out, imagine a presidential candidate running for office based on putting people out of work. I found it was shocking. So that became the launching place for my column this week, which I titled, Trying to Make Winners Out of Losers, which I see is what the Democrat Party is trying to do with Hillary and what Hillary's energy plan is trying to do with renewable energy. Because the very same week she made those comments, we had an announcement of three big solar company failures. Ivan Pa, the plant, the big plant outside of Las Vegas, is threatened with failure because guess what? It doesn't produce the energy it was predicted to produce. Then we had Sun Edison and then Abengoa, which I've been following closely. So that's kind of where my title came from. But you know what? Hillary made those comments in coal country. Now, you might expect it if she was in Tom Steyer, billionaire environmental donor, if she was in a, a fundraiser, fundraiser in his posh San Francisco living room, you might expect those comments. But no, they were made in Ohio, which is coal country, oil country, natural gas country, just days before that state's important primary election. So today on America's Voice for Energy, we have back with us Christian Pallack, who is the president of the Ohio Coal Association, to tell us his reaction and the reaction of his members and people within the state of Ohio to Hillary's comment about putting coal miners and coal companies out of business. Welcome back, Christian. It's good to have you with us. So happy to be here with you, Marita. So obviously you've heard my long-winded introductory comments there. Um, you know, what, what was your reaction when you heard her comments? Well, you know, you mentioned you would expect to hear it in Tom Steyer's living room, and uh, it kind of shows how bold uh, we're seeing from the, uh, the National Democrats running right now um, about speaking about our industry and uh, putting us out of business. I mean, what else can you say but the statements were callous? Um, you know, our miners and companies are already struggling under the weight of this hostile administration, and they're not going to forget the way Secretary Clinton spoke so nonchalantly about destroying 
the way of life for so many of Ohio's coal families. Um, just really chilling comments to happen here in Columbus um, to the point where I was watching it, and I actually was sitting there with my wife and had to rewind the TV to make sure I heard what I heard because, like you said, to have a national candidate, someone running for the most important office in the world, actually run on killing jobs is shocking to me. And our members were very, very dismayed. And, of course, many of them you know, weren't inclined to support uh, Secretary Clinton anyway, as we see it as a continuation of President Obama's anti-coal policies. But I think this really assured that our miners and companies are going to be supporting whoever comes out of the other side uh, this November. Yeah, whoever that may be, any of them are going to be better because all of the all the Republican candidates, as I outlined in my column uh, two weeks ago when I did an analysis of the different candidates' positions, uh, any of the three remaining Republican candidates uh, are going to be favorable to Cole. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I, our governor, whose office is uh, two doors down from us, you know, here in Columbus, uh, Governor Kasich, who's still running for president, uh, we've seen how much he supported the industry as our governor, and, you know, uh, our, our members know him very personally. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Any of those three gentlemen will be much, much better uh, for coal country and at least make sure that our folks have a seat at the table to talk about our issues. I know um, Donald Trump very specifically has come out and promised that he will restore uh, the coal industry. Yeah, uh, you know, we've heard those comments from Mr. Trump, and uh, Senator Cruz has made similar comments as well as Governor Kasich. So, you know, they're, they're all talking, uh, you know, the right, the right language for our coal companies, um, you know, and it's a complete 360 from the language that uh, we're talking today here on your show about with uh, Secretary Clinton. Um, it's, it's, it's absolutely shocking she would say that. And quite frankly, she's running to the left of Barack Obama. Um, you know, Barack Obama's policies uh, speak louder than words that he intends to do it, but it really shows how bold and how much they really don't care about the industry, Marita, when you have Secretary Clinton in coal country, Ohio, um, saying these comments. And she probably thought she was going to get away with it, too. Well, certainly we know uh, uh, Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Democrat from West Virginia, who endorsed her. Uh, a year ago, he was a very early endorser of the Clinton can candidacy. Uh, he called her on the carpet uh, for her comments, as did uh, your Democratic senator, senatorial candidate, former Governor Ted Strickland. Yeah, you know, they both did. And, um, you know, here in Ohio, uh, you know, our former Governor Ted Strickland is running for Senate. Um, you know, we've heard Senator Portman has been a tremendous supporter of the industry for the last six years during his term. Um, you know, you can say what you want about, uh, you know, Secretary Clinton's comments, and it's great that, you know, he says that the comments were, you know, unartful. But the problem <laughs> is when, when you support, they're more than unartful, they're despicable. And when you endorse someone, what are Cole families supposed to take away from that? If you're supporting someone for the highest office in the land who says these things, you know, you, you, can, uh, you can tell a lot about a person by the friends they keep. And unfortunately... Mr. Strickland's kept very close friends to the Clinton family. He was endorsed very early in a contested primary by them. So Senator Portman has been absolutely rock solid in supporting affordable and reliable energy from coal. So, you know, I'm sure that some of these national Democrats, um, you know, running for Congress would really have not liked for Secretary Clinton to, uh, to make those comments. So I, I'm sure, you know, we saw she tried to walk it back, which, you know, Marita's the first sign that you know that she regrets it because she's trying to walk it back. But... Um, in that rare moment of truth, we heard what the Clinton energy plan would be. 
Yeah, I believe that it was not a gaffe by any means. I mean, it may have been a gaffe that she said it, although I don't really believe it was a gaffe even that she said it. I believe it is what is the attitude of her heart, but I believe that she said it intentionally because she needs uh, President Clinton, I mean, President Obama's endorsement, and he needs her because he, he wants his legacy to be, well, he wouldn't use these words, but he wants his legacy to be killing coal. He wants to go down as the man who saved the planet from climate change. And uh, in, in order for that to happen, his anti-fossil fuel, uh, and I know you represent coal, but it's, it's, it's not just coal that he and Hillary have attacked because Hillary's comments at the end of that segment, which are not the ones that have been played as much, but she said, we've got to move away from coal. And then she had a slight pause and a drop in her voice and said, and all the other fossil fuels. So President Obama needs his anti-fossil fuel policies to stay in place for his legacy. Uh, and no Republican is going to carry on that legacy. So he needs Hillary Clinton to win. Absolutely. And the Obama-Clinton energy policy, it's, it's all the above, but it's all the above ground energy policy. You're right. It's all fossil fuels that they want to get rid of, you know, with us being the first one they're fighting against. But, you know, the other part is, yes, she says these things because she needs President Obama's endorsement. But let's not forget she's locked in a tough battle with a Democrat socialist liberal in Bernie Sanders. So she's trying to run to the left of Bernie Sanders on this. You know, we know Bernie has had it, you know, the Keep It in the Ground Act, and he's one of exactly. those folks. So she's in a tough battle, and a lot of the radical Enviro supporters and deep-pocketed ones at that, like you mentioned, Tom Steyer and Michael Bloomberg, she's making sure she proves her bona fides that, hey, I'll kill the industry just as much as Bernie will. So it, it's, it's definitely troublesome. And I can tell you, we have 20 counties um, that produce coal here in eastern Ohio, and they heard her comments, and come November, we are the most important swing state in the country. You know, Florida will be a swing certainly, state as well. Certainly. But you don't make it to the White House without winning Ohio. And I have a, quite the feeling those comments are going to be played a lot in eastern and southeastern Ohio, both for her and in the Senate race with Senator Portman and Governor Strickland. So how, how close is Governor Strickland? Is, is he running a strong race at this point, or is it, is it looking like it's going to be a washout? You know, I think I think it's going to be close. You know, anytime you have someone that was elected governor, um, you know, Senator Portman's running a terrific race. Um, he's been out and about with the people. Um, you know, Governor Strickland, I haven't seen a whole lot from him, and quite frankly, I haven't seen any polling uh, since the primary that was just a couple weeks ago. So right. I do think it's going to be a tough race because in a presidential year and so much focus on Ohio and with Hillary Clinton endorsing Governor Strickland, you're going to see a lot, a lot of money spent here. So Senator Portman's going to have a tough race, but I think Cole families have seen his record in the last six years, and I think that's certainly going to boost him in the counties that he needs to win and win big. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating, and as, as we've discussed, it's just baffling uh, that Hillary Clinton made those comments. Now, you know, Hillary Clinton, we've just got about a minute left, Christian, but Hillary Clinton, one of her other gaffes that they report is that she, um, she said that uh, no one was killed in Benghazi. No one was killed. No Americans were killed in Libya. Well, Heather Zeichel, uh, right after the Paris Agreement, made a similar kind of comment uh, talking about Obama's policies and said, 
no, no jobs have been lost. You wonder what planet are these people living on? Do you have a reaction you want to mention in our last minute or so, minute or two here on uh, Hillary, I mean, Heather Zeichel's comments? Yeah, the, I mean, those comments, again, it's one of those moments, did I, did I read that type situation? Um, you know, because you have to just have a complete negligence for the truth or, you know, facts. We, we know the job loss facts. I mean, we've lost how many coal jobs in the last seven years? I mean, nationally, it's around 30,000 direct mining jobs. Isn't it really that high? It's very, very high. And, you know, these folks can say whatever they want, but people know the results. Um, You know, they can come to eastern Ohio. We we invited this week, you know, for Secretary Clinton to come talk to some of our unemployed miners she made the comment about. And we welcome anyone to come try to make Oh, God bless comments. you. Has she responded? Oh, no, of course not. Of course not. And we don't expect that. We've done it with Gina McCarthy as well and President Obama, you know, because we know they're not going to. They don't want to look in the face of the people that they're destroying But, but if they did, they could. I mean, the people Absolutely. are there. They would talk to them. They oh, would if, talk to them. If the Hillary Clinton campaign called wanted to do a, a town hall with unemployed minors, I'm sure that uh, they would go talk to her, but I, I doubt the reception would be very good. But, um, yeah. yeah, and therefore she's not likely to want to do it. We're about out yeah. of time, Christian. Uh, I appreciate your, your time to talk with us today about this important issue. And uh, hopefully uh, your comments and the, this whole the package of the, my column in this show will make a difference in alerting people to the reality of the Democrat Party's agenda, which is so important. Uh, not that I specifically want to be partisan, but it couldn't be more stark in this election cycle. Yeah, I'll finish with this. You're right. It's not a partisan issue. It is a jobs issue. It's an affordable and reliable energy issue. And uh, thanks for having me on, Marita. And I really enjoy talking to you and your listeners. Always a treat. Thank you so much. And we'll be right back with America's Voice for Energy on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. As you know, this week we're talking about Secretary Hillary Clinton's comments on putting coal miners and coal companies out of business. And in our last segment, we talked with Kristen Pallack, who is the president of the Ohio 
Coal Association. And, of course, remember, Hillary made her comments in Ohio. And uh, now we're talking with Bill Bissett, who's been with us many times before, from the Kentucky Coal Association. So, Bill, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. Of course, Marita. Thanks for interest. You know, and, and it's interesting because we all know that Hillary, one of Hillary's other big gaffes, was saying that nobody died, no Americans died in Libya. And uh, we, of course, know that that's not true, that many Americans, did, or at least four Americans, died in Libya. But before we go to Heather Zeichel's comments, who is former uh, Obama staffer on energy and climate change, uh, and, and her comments about no jobs have been lost, I want to give you an opportunity to give us your take on uh, Hillary Clinton's comments. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I often think of what Senator Paul said when he heard them, which she sounded gleeful in her tone. And, you know, there have been a couple of reporters, some, to be honest with Marita, leaning, shall we say, against uh, the coal industry, who said, oh, she was just talking about her bailout program for Appalachia. You yes. know, she was taken out of context. She misspoke. All those kind of apologies. But, you know, I've worked in this industry for more than a decade now, and being from West Virginia, if those words come out of your mouth and you say them with a big smile, even if you look at that quote in the overall context of what she's saying, it's very, very concerning that somebody running for the president of these United States would say it. I'll say this. The fact that she actually pivots from that quote that you mentioned to all fossil fuels, the fact that she's also really lumping natural gas and oil into that group as well, that that's what this country needs to move beyond, uh, to me is terrifying. I mean, it's very, very concerning because, as you know, against Senator Sanders, she's considered the more moderate candidate, or at least, you know, one would think. But, it, you know, it's really concerning. And to me, it really draws a line in the sand that, you know, if you're for Hillary Clinton for president, you're not pro-coal. You're not with you know, the production and use of coal as an energy source in this country. So what are you seeing in the, the coal mines, coal fields, coal country? What are you seeing in coal country in reaction to that comment? Are people aware of it? Um, you know, tremendous anger would be the quick analysis of the reaction. I would hope so. Uh, Marita, and, and so much so, and I, and I hate to say this, we, we keep a Facebook page not only for the Kentucky Coal Association, but also Friends of Coal Kentucky, which is, you know, basically gives people a way to be connected to the industry, but also show their support, and it's very successful here in Kentucky. A lot of people are members of it. But we've had to, if you'll, you know, I'm sure you understand, prune our Facebook pages from just the, you know, really angry responses and sometimes using, you know, foul language in them because mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. are so offended that, you know, you would actually say that out loud. And that's what bothers me. You know, hey, maybe she had a long day. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she had an IFP you know, but and as, somebody was talking. As, but, but, as but those words came out of your mouth. So, that, I mean, and you and I both know it did not appear like she was flustered or didn't know what she was saying. You know, I've watched it. No, they appeared very intentional, and as you said, she was gleeful yeah. in it. You know, if I was going to say that, I might say, you know, it grieves me that, that, that the way the economy is going, the way the markets are going, that coal miners and coal com companies are going to go out of business. That would be like a, a, a totally different thing. But it, her tone was so gleeful. Well, you know, let's move on because her sure. her comments were, were I think, arrogant. And but Heather Zeigel's comments 
uh, were, were equally arrogant when she said, and now this was back in December after the Paris Climate Conference, it wasn't this week, but I think they, they bear connecting, when Heather Zykel said that nobody's, nobody's energy bills are going sky high and no jobs have been lost. And um, to me, that's, that's as arrogant as Hillary Clinton's comments. Well, at best, it shows a tremendous ignorance and blind spot for what's happening uh, in many ways because of the Obama administration's policies. And if you, you know, research Zykel and, you know, look where she came from, you know, she's a Democrat operative. She, you know, she worked in the uh, Kerry campaign in 04 and then uh, the Obama campaign in 08. And, you know, she even, and, you know, let me say this, I question Wikipedia pretty carefully when I look at user for research, but it's a great way to find other information. For example, uh, when Solyndra was starting to fall out of the sky, which I know is something you've covered extensively. Marita, exactly. What, uh, one of the emails from her to the administration when she she kind of filled in when Carol Browner left the administration she kind of plugged in maybe not as high profile a role but definitely in that influencer role regarding energy policy you know the email where she was kind of letting the you know the executive staff know hey this is going the wrong direction ended with no es bueno <laughs> it is not good <laughs> you know what is happening so you know uh, you know she apparently has a sense of humor of some type here i guess but it, it it is very insulting you know i spent most of the last week in hazard kentucky perry county kentucky and people you know the thing that i keep taking away not only are people hurting tremendously and i mean from coal miners out of work to the local diner that you know that, that has to lay off waitresses because you know people are not eating out anymore cuz there's there's not money but also right. The tremendous anger at this administration that their federal tax dollars go to an organization that is taking away their livelihoods. And that's what's so patently offensive. You know, yes, we can get into market dynamics and increase shale plays and production costs and all those factors that are factors. But like it or not, we can't build new coal-fired power plants. We're closing existing ones right now before their life and, and is over. And existing ones, exactly, that's what I was just going to say, existing yep. ones that have a lot of years of life left in them. Absolutely. Um, and, and you and I pay for and, them, and, That's the frustrating thing. They've you had know. big investments in scrubbing technologies, et cetera, at least most of them have, that I'm aware of, have spent uh, millions of dollars cleaning up from the EPA, then the EPA moves the marker. Exactly, and that that's but not through congressional action, through executive edict, and that's what's that's what makes us so angry because it's you know Kentucky, the coal-fired power plants here, Kentuckians paid for them, and you know yeah. and look. The electric utilities, I don't fault them because they're under more political pressure than even we are to do what this administration wants. But, you know, what frustrates me is you have the effect not only on the use but the production of our product, which is having a huge impact. And this constant double message point, which you and I have talked about, one, it's not affecting jobs. It's actually creating jobs, what we're doing to, quote, address climate change. But also the idea that, that you know, this is not affecting Appalachia. And let me throw a third log on the fire, if I could, Marita. It's also patently offensive that you're going to give us a big check to go away and be happy. You know, that's not, that's not what the people in the coal fields want. They want a livelihood. They want a way to feed their family. They don't want some kind of federal subsidy that's going to make everything better. Because you and I know that's a very finite fix for the economic damage that's been done. And first off, it isn't going to be a big check. Exactly. It, may be a subsist- it, it may be a subsistence check, but it's not going to be a big check. And, and it's not a long-term fix. No. And, uh, you know, the people want their jobs. 
Right. And, 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 you know, the idea that in a rural part of the country where topography is a tremendous challenge and, you know, there's multiple generations of mining coal and, you know, really benefiting that area tremendously, you have a real disconnect on how you help people. And, you know, can we be surprised by that? Because, again, how, I mean, we haven't even talked about this. How about the insensitivity of what she said? Because, you know, the other thing that makes me mad is the idea that out-of-work coal miners aren't at home watching these presidential debates because they know how important this race is in 2016. You know, how many people are sitting in their living room with their kids hearing her gleefully say that, you know, we're going to put a lot of you out of work thinking this is, th- these are my options? This is what I have to lead my country? Yeah, it's, it's very, very scary. And, you know, you brought up um, something there that I wanted to, to go back to. And she's, she, her, her gleeful comments, the people that are in that region, they were made in Ohio, in coal country, which adds to, you, you just have to wonder, and, and which is what I posited in my column, that I think this was intentional. Because she, I think she's buying for President Obama's support, because he has not yet endorsed her. And, you know, he will. But he needs her to win. Because you pointed out that these policies that President Obama has put in are by executive action. They're not through Congress. So assuming we have a Republican president, which I believe it's looking really solid for does not i'm happy with any of the three remaining candidates that we have frankly as long as the republican party gets behind whoever it is and quits the shenanigans that they've been doing lately Mm. but um i i think they will reverse many of these policies and particularly coal you know donald trump has promised uh that he's going to bring coal back he's on the record many many times um supporting coal and i believe that is his uh, position, but it's it's um, appalling to me that um, she would make such comments in the heart of coal country. It is well, maybe Ohio's is, not the know, heart of it, but well, but Ohio's a coal-producing state, and you know, Christian had on earlier, it, it, you know, and it's, very, it's oil and gas too. And she said all fossil fuels, and that's one of the other things I really wanted to point out in my column is that it's not just coal. That she, no, but that that other part of it hasn't gotten the media attention. Well, and here, you know, the scent, the words are literally now we've got to move away from coal and other and all of the, all the other fossil fuels, you know, and everyone is in you know, that that's think of the economic power of this con- this country with those fuels and think of it without it. And, you know, there's a lot of pivot points that we've talked here that, you know, she's going to have to start talking nuclear if she's getting away from this backbone energy source. And, you know, there was just a poll recently from Gallup this week saying the majority of, you know, Americans do not support, you know, the development of nuclear energy. Now, is that a good or bad thing for this country? To me, that's an economic decision. But how about this? Nuclear energy has got a big perception issue as well as tremendous criticism from the activist community that's very against what we do for a living. So yeah, but, you know, top billionaire environmental donor, uh, Tom Steyer, likes nuclear. Yes, well, and that because I think there's an attempt to move into that market um, to displace fossil fuels and have nuclear be the, the, well, I mean, be if, the if only, only answer, if you will, for that backbone energy source. Yeah, I mean, if, if they really care about CO2, if CO2 is the true issue, which I don't believe it is, you have to be for nuclear because if you get rid of the fossil fuels, there is no other base load option. 
Right. And if you talk to, you know, environmental activists, which I do often, you know, they have huge, I mean, they're more concerned about nuclear development than us. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's really, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a much greater issue to them. So that train wreck will happen down the road. But, you know, it, it is, I can tell you this, that there's, a, I think, a frustration, too, in the Democratic Party here. You know, the, the Clintons replaced the Kennedys as kind of that out-of-state uh, national speaker that could come into Kentucky or my home state of West Virginia and drum up votes and get support. You know, the Kennedys lost it. I think the Clintons lost it, especially with the McConnell-Grimes race of 2014, where Leader McConnell mm-hmm. won by nearly 16 points. So, you know, their, their brand in the purple states, if you will, or better said, the conservative Reagan-Democrat states, is plummeting. And, you know, yeah. the, the thing that I worry about, Marita, and I'll be real honest, you know, if this is what someone's going to say to become the president of the United States, you know, it's showing that we don't care about coal country. We don't care about West Virginia. We don't care about Kentucky. We're writing those states off. You know, we care about Ohio, I guess, north of Columbus. But, you know, there, there's a real disconnect there. And, you know, what bothers me is that drives us into a real partisan shape. But, you know, I don't know how you listen. I can't believe I've had to debate what she meant by that quote so much. <laughs> to me, it kind of hits me over the head like, you know, those words came out of your mouth. How do you not say How do you say that? You know, and again, yeah. gleefully. Yeah. Bill Bissett, president of Kentucky Coal Association. We're out of time, but tell me quick, which, uh, which way is the state of Kentucky going to go, Republican or Democrat for president? Oh, I think very Republican. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We're now in the second half of the show, and in the first half of the show, we talked with Christian Palak, who is the president of the Ohio Coal Association, and then Bill Bissett, president of the Kentucky Coal Association, and we talked particularly with them about Secretary Hillary Clinton, candidate Hillary Clinton's March 13 comments about putting coal miners and coal companies out of business. But as we mentioned, yeah, it's it's scary, isn't it? As we mentioned, she she uh, at the end of that section of her uh, of her comments, she said. We're going to move away from all fossil fuels. And so in this segment, we're going to talk with Bud Holtzman. And Bud and I just met last week uh, on a radio show that I do live every Thursday, broadcast radio, in Lubbock, 
Texas, and Bud was a guest that one of the co-hosts had lined up, and I was not familiar with his work before, but Bud's got, got quite a history and, and uh, quite a story to tell, and from his military background, and specifically, we're going to talk about his work as chief analyst, Iraq Oil and Gas Infrastructure, that uh, was while he was deployed in Iraq. And in that capacity, Holtzman authored numerous papers on Iraq future reserves and exploration potential of the country. And I, I invited Bud to join us because of Hillary Clinton's comments about that we're going to move away from not just coal, but all the other fossil fuels. Now, in my column, I mentioned the University of Chicago study, um, which I found fascinating. I mentioned it in last week's show as well. But these, the authors of this study ideologically are in Hillary Clinton's camp. They're not in my camp. They believe that fossil fuels are causing catastrophic climate change and that will result in, as they say, a dystopian future. But even with that ideological bent, they conclude, in short, the world is likely to be awash in fossil fuels for decades and perhaps even centuries to come. So, Bud, welcome to America's Voice for Energy, and, and what do you respond to that, that comment? Well, thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it, um, luckily, I mean, I say luckily for the world, that these fossil fuels are being found in greater numbers now than they ever have due to technology, due to um, uh, other factors. Because if you go around the world and, and leave your little bitty town or little city here in the U.S., you'll see that the world relies as just as much as we do on fossil fuels. Uh, the natural gas is extremely important in the future. Um, in fact, uh, we're trying to get Iraq, all their um, power stations, over to gas turbines, and it's a very clean source of energy. Uh, the world relies on fossil fuels. It can't change over, and it's going to take 100 years to change over to any other type of fuel. And luckily for us, my children... My grandchildren and their children probably will still be using fossil fuels because they're used in so many different um, industries. Uh, it just to plan on getting a little solar panel on your house is not going to change the fact uh, that the, the world needs fossil fuel and the technology is coming aboard that will make it cleaner and cleaner for us to use. It's just, uh, and I was very luckily to go over in Iraq and look at what that country has and what it's going to do for the rest of the world. Um, there's other countries that are doing the same. Uh, Saudi Arabia is doing a whole bunch of new work on their source rocks. It's just going to be good for the world of what we're doing and producing these fossil fuels. Well, you mentioned you were luckily picked for this role in Iraq. Can you give us a little bit of background on how that happened for you? Well, I served, um, like I said, 41 years in the military, primarily for 30-some years as a helicopter pilot, uh, reserves, National Guard, active duty. And I, unfortunately, in Dallas, when I was transferred up there in my company, I was president of the GMAP Corporation. They're in Plano, Texas. And I was transferred from Houston up to uh, there to take over as COO of, of the corporation. 
they didn't have any flying slots, but the Army Reserve said, uh, we need older guys, and this is funny, because I'm <laughs> but we need them in uh, Arab counterintelligence, uh, cultural Arab intelligence, the whole work. So I went to all the schools, including the three-letter school. And, and this is in the reserves? It's in the reserves, and I did some okay. and nights and weekends, and so I became a counterintelligence agent. I can tell you that I'm. I'm this, everything I say on this program is not classified. So it's now on the record. Well, I'm not going to send it on an email like somebody else did. Yeah, good, good call. But anyway, I had the opportunity after 9/11. Then, when we went into Iraq, they needed um, older people to go over there and work with the intelligence groups because, luckily, in that part of the world, they actually respect age. They respect older people, unlike our kids here. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't really working with our younger agents a lot, and so they wanted some older people with some experience to go and, and work with the intelligence. So I went over as a counterintelligence agent. I had to go to Abu Ghraib first, the prison. We yes. Look at the procedures. Remember they had the big scandal? Yes. The yep. gentleman and myself who was a Marine and... I was a pilot in Vietnam, and this guy was a Marine, the other agent. And uh, we were had to live out in the prison and, you know, go and do things. And so after that, I was sent over to Baghdad, over to the Afal Palace. That's one of Hussein's palaces. And in the meantime, they found out I was a geologist. Well, they didn't really have any certified petroleum geologists. But you weren't you weren't brought in originally on a geology capacity. No, not at all. They found out. Yeah there and they changed my title the next day to the chief analyst so I was able to look at all of the captured data which we had tremendous amounts and I had all the translators working for me and we were able to translate I spoke a little Arabic but not much um, mm -hmm. and but we had these translators and I was able to look at the data of oil companies of the North Oil Company of, of Iraq Southern Oil Company of Iraq the whole works and it, it started to amaze me um, what they really had compared to what they said they had for years. Because I started working on fields. I found 82 fields. And remember, let, let's put it in perspective. The, state, the country of Iraq is the size of the state of Texas. It, it's approximately. Okay. In that country, I found, now listen to this, all the oil people, only 3,200 wells were drilled. Just think in Texas how many million wells have been drilled. I don't know how many million wells are there in Texas. Oh, a lot. I have, so, in southern Bear County where I live, has more wells in southern Bear County than Iraq has in their whole country. Wow. That definitely puts it in perspective. And then I started looking at what was completed. I found 82 fields. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the allergies down here are terrible. But I <laughs> No worries. Yeah, 82 fields, and I looked at them, and there was only a few well fields producing. Uh, there was, must have been maybe 10, 11 fields actually producing at the time. And I, I started looking at the reserves by using their geology. I had all the seismic. I had everything. So I started working on East Baghdad Field, which is just east of where I was living. And I looked at that and brought the data up, and that field was 80 kilometers long, anticline, by about 10 kilometers wide, and it had 10 pays in it, Miocene down through the Cretaceous. I found wow. 12 
billion. That's with a B. Everything I'm going to tell you now is with a B, not an M. <laughs> a billion <clears throat> uh, barrels of oil and just a tremendous amount of natural gas. It was uh, Natural gas had an H2S in it, but the oil, there was 12, 14 billion barrels sitting there, and the well and the fuel was producing 1,100 barrels a day. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Since then, it's gone up to 21 or 25,000 barrels a day. But I figured that, well, that field could produce a half a million to a million barrels a day. And so that piqued my interest, and I started going up in the Kurdish region and redoing all of the estimates for Kirkuk, some of the major fields in the south at Basra, Ramalia, all the major fields. And I came up with about 250 billion barrels in proved reserves in that country. And that is proved in those 82 fields. But there were fields there that had 10 to 260 million barrels of reserves, which are declared non-commercial. They weren't produced. And then there was a couple fields... But that, let, let me ask you, they were declared non-commercial. Right. Um, with, with what technology, with what seismic is that? Because I understand from our previous conversation that you were not doing new data. You were wa working off of decades-old data. Am I correct? Uh, both. Some of the data was a little bit newer, but most of it, when I say non-commercial, I don't mean in the sense that technology non-commercial. The Iraqi engineers and stuff talking to me said, why would we produce such a small field? It's easy to produce. Why would we produce that when we're producing off these billion-barrel fields just down near, like the port of Basra, where, the, where they come in with the ships to take it off? <clears throat> Why go out in the western desert or wherever and have to lay pipes in and everything just to get a few barrels of oil when we can take it out of these ten fields that are close to the infrastructure? It's not non-commercial because technology. It's non-commercial because... Okay. Uh, I'm asking because back to this University of Chicago study that I read, they talked about the potential of oil shale and methane hydrates, and while they're not commercially viable now, that they believe that at some point in the future, technology will get there and they will be commercially viable. And so that's kind of why I, I uh, stopped on that point. Well, listen to this. I found on Seismic there was about five, over 500 2D structures in Iraq. And these aren't little bitty faults with a 10-foot of sand structure. I'm talking kilometers long structures. There was over 500 that we found. And you know there's only been 100 of them drilled so far? And so you can, when I say structures, there's still 400 major structures to be drilled, and they have a success rate almost 80%. So, you're, so when they drill, they hit oil. They hit oil. Yeah. But we're, we're about out of time for our segment. Can you stay with us for, yes. for another segment? Yes, that'd be fine. Okay. And then, all right, great. I just go, go ahead. We've got about 30 seconds left before we have to take a break. Okay. There's, there's, there's all these structures still left to be drilled, and then I'm not even talking about the source rock, the shales, like we do over here in the Eagleford and Bakken. Wait till you hear about what they have in that arena. 
Well, there, you've left us with a great tease. We're talking with Bud Holtzman on America's Voice for Energy, heard each week on America's Web Radio, and we'll be right back to hear more from Bud Holtzman for our closing segment. Please stay tuned. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to our closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. Fascinating discussion we're having today triggered by Hillary Clinton's comments about putting coal miners and coal companies out of business. But then she said, we're going to move away from coal and all the other fossil fuels. So we're talking with Bud Holtzman, who has personal firsthand knowledge of the vast untapped potential for fossil fuels in the Middle East, particularly in Iraq. So before the break, Bud, you teased us with some of the source rock, and I didn't realize that they have potential for shale oil or shale gas um, as we do here. Oh, it's, it's, oh the, the source rocks in Iraq, all the way from your Silurian uh, source rocks all the way through your Jurassic source rocks, they cover most of the Middle East. When God looked down on the earth and said, where am I going to place most of the oil and gas for the world in the future, he picked the Middle East, and then he threw a little bit out to the North America and these other places. When I say a little bit, he was just sort of teasing us compared to what they have over in the Middle East. Because I would, like right now, uh, Saudi's drilling a horizontal shale well uh, east of Warfield that's going, it's just for fun, to test. Not fun, but for future, (laughs) they're going to be testing some of the richest source rock in the world. And it's hundreds of feet thick. And you go like in the western desert out in Iraq, the TOC, which is the total organic uh, content of the rock itself, uh, which, say, the Eagleford's a four or five. I want you to put this in relationship to these numbers. In In the Middle East, a lot of the TOCs are 14 and 15 which means that source rock is full of hydrocarbons. Wow. Iraq will eventually, just like Saudi's doing now, and I say eventually, they'll go back in and have hundreds and hundreds, and I mean, they're not the whole country, but a good part of the country, they're going to be able to do horizontal source rock work there. And the reserves, I didn't even figure that into my reserves because I, I really don't have that knowledge. But it will be literally 
it will be hundreds and hundreds of billions of barrels in the Middle East will come from shales and their source rocks. Hundreds of billions. And not, not just oil, natural gas. The natural gas, say in Iraq, you know there's only one, there's a lot of, I don't know, you're not old enough, but when we used to go through West Texas in the early 50s, as a kid. Drunk. Yeah, I'm definitely not old enough to remember West Texas in the early 50s. Now, the whole sky was lit up because of all of the flared gas because nobody was using it. When I got to Iraq, Kirkuk and your Basra, it was the same way. It was flared gas and they weren't using it. Now they're trying to uh, capture it. I believe Shell is working with them, trying to capture this natural gas. But this Western... And you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, um, I think before we were on the air, you mentioned that they're, they're trying to uh, go to natural gas for electricity generation. What is their electricity generation now? It's residual oil. It's crude oil. And it was, so they're, they're using crude oil for electricity. Yeah, and the, the bad thing was is that the Iraqis were getting three to four hours a day of electricity, and it's over 120 degrees in the summer. Can you imagine the revolution in the United States if we didn't have air conditioning? Well, that's what we're going to have if Hillary Clinton's energy yeah. policies are well, put in need, place. Exactly. You need the power, and, you know, this natural gas is a very clean gas, especially on get back to the western desert of Iraq, which covers half of the country. There's only one field that's been drilled, and there's 120 more structures to be drilled, and that one field is called AUKUS. It's near the uh, Syrian border. And that one field, there's about five to six trillion cubic feet and they drilled six wells, so or six or seven wells on it. There's that. And why are they not drilling more when when all that resource is there? They don't care because they can pull the power. Their OPEC limit, I think, is three million, three point five million barrels. They can take that out of five or six fields. That's the problem. Wow. So why? As an engineer said, why drill all this up? It'll be there in the future. That was his answer to me. Why drill? So it's not that they don't have the infrastructure, or it's not that the government is too unstable, or anything like that? No, well, I, I'm going to go back. The government is unstable. Their fights with the Kurds is out of hand, and it's stupid. I said in my papers, if the Iraq could ever get their political and their security situation intact, and the corruption, there's, there's typical corruption over there, uh -huh. that they could be the richest country in the world. And the population they have, they could be, uh, each one of their citizens could have several servants. But there, unfortunately, there's a lot of animosity and anger that's built up over the years. And they don't forget things as much as we do, family problems between families and tribes. Mm -hmm. They hold a grudge. Well, obviously, they're still fighting, you know, what... Uh several thousand year old battles to, that yeah. they're still engaged in today exactly but they ever get it together say they go out and they want to get this natural gas under control all over the country there were plans that we put together to build these liquefied natural gas plants along the coast and they could take that gas down there and and make a fortune just shipping natural gas to the middle east india not middle east yeah you know i mean we've got our first shipments of natural gas are are just now hitting Europe. There's obviously a, a market for that. Oh, there's a tremendous market for it. And they, here's all this gas they have. They need to build up the infrastructure because a lot of the infrastructure is extremely old. 
over there. Their their power plants were extremely old, and they they need to stop what they're doing. They're fighting, infighting, and start looking out what's best for the Iraq people. And I've hoped that they do that one day because yeah. And then the world hope, hope springs eternal, right? Yeah, the world they could easily export on the oil if they got that OPEC uh, approval, which won't come now. They could easily do do seven to nine million barrels a day for hundred years. And, wow! And, and look at that. I mean, just you know, just think of being a geologist over there. You go up in the Kurdish region, and hell, you go. It's very complex geology because all the the structure, the faulting, and the thrusting. But you go to the nearest anticline and drill a well. It doesn't take a genius. It does after the first one because you've got a lot of uh, faulting and stuff. But the first well is going to hit oil because there's so many pays. I, I was on one well that I think it was 9,500 foot deep. It had over 4,000 foot of pay. Half the well. It's, that's not comprehensible. No. Here, if you get 10 foot of pay, you go down to the nearest bar or club and, and celebrate and buy everybody drinks. Over there, I've seen wells that come in close to a thousand barrels a day, and they're plugged as non-commercial. Non-commercial. There are other wells. So, what do you think? Um, but knowing all this, knowing having this personal, first-hand knowledge of how much resource is available in Iraq, what do you think when you hear people like Hillary Clinton say? that we've got to move away from fossil fuels. When you say, hear people say, I mean, I get people arguing with me, well, it's a finite resource. We're going to run out. We've got to move away. We've got to go to alternatives. What, what's your response to that? No, that, that, that maybe, maybe years ago, remember the old uh, curves that used to say we hit our peak oil? Sure. World, and now we're on a decline. Those things have all been thrown in the trash. Uh, the technology and also uh, the ability to go out in the developing world and find this new oil and gas for this world has, has is produced more oil now, I mean reserves, that will last, like I said, my children, the, gra- the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren. It'll be a several hundred years maybe before we actually start uh, running out of this fossil fuel. So... It's not a, oh, it is a finite number. I'm sure there is. I mean, but that has moved so far out in the future from what it was thought to be in the 50s and 60s, 70s. But a lot of these people that you're talking about use that old number. They're not, they're not scientists. They're not technology people. They're politicians. And they'll use that old number, not understanding that the old number has been thrown in the trash by the scientists. Period. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things, and get back to this University of Chicago study, one of the things they point out is um, one of the ways there is a perception uh, out there that we will get off of fossil fuels is if we could have electric cars. And that's why there's so much money being dumped into electric cars because we can, and I appreciate it in this study, that they acknowledge, which very few people seem to acknowledge, that oil um, and electricity are two different things, at least in the United States. That's part of why I asked you about where does their electricity come from in the Middle East, because in the United States, our electricity does not come from oil. So when you say, well, you know, oil is a transportation fuel, but for they, they desperately, this, this group 
of people desperately wants to get off of oil. Um, that's kind of the, the evil one to them. Well, maybe after coal, but anyway. Yeah, but and they why? say... But why? Uh, because our power plants down here are transferred over. We have a lot of natural gas power plants that make electricity that go into the cars. This is the thing that they can't get through their little minds, and I hate to say this, but little scientific minds, that where does electricity come from? Yeah, well, that's one of the things I'm saying, that in this, this study they acknowledge, but what they, they kind of lament is if we have more electric cars, <laughs> they, they say what it will do is it will make the demand for oil go down, which means the price of oil will be cheaper which will mean internal combustion engines are more attractive. So they, they kind of go through the cycle here, which I've never seen anyone from their ideological viewpoint acknowledge that this whole folly, I mean, this whole idea of getting off of fossil fuels is, is really folly. And we've got about a minute left, but so I'll let you kind of wrap up. They need to leave the United States and go out in the rest of the world. The fossil fuels... Uh, are going to be running the power systems and the cars and everything else in all the third world countries, the developing countries, the, which is mainly the rest of the world, China, uh, India, all that kind of thing. It's not. It would take hundreds of years to transfer over to a different type of power source to get this electricity. And then there, you also need to remember out there that there are tremendous byproducts of hydrocarbons that are not going right into the power grid. If you take these hydrocarbons out, what's going to replace them? It's going to take many, many years. And I'm not saying it's not good to have a solar power on your house and this, that, and the other. I think that's great. Right. I think that's great. But my wife has a hybrid car. I have a truck because I have to go out to the rigs. I'm still working with Thunder Exploration, um, Walter Light down in Houston. I'm, he and I are together. We're working as a consultant on his company. We're still drilling for oil and gas, and the U.S. will need that in order to provide inexpensive, that, let me put that, inexpensive power for the future of this country. You cannot make the power so expensive that the average person on the street is not going to have solar panels on their roofs right now. It costs yeah. tens of thousands of dollars. They're, look at the, the total electric cars for the most part. It can go very, you know, they only go a few miles, or they cost a tremendous amount of money, and the average citizen can't pay for that. Yeah. But we're out of time, and I, it's been a fascinating discussion. I appreciate it, and I'm sure that we're going to have you back uh, again on America's Voice for Energy. We've been talking with Bud Holtzman, who uh, is an expert on the uh, resources in the Middle East, particularly Iraq. Thanks for joining us this week on America's Voice for Energy. We hope you'll join us again on America's Web Radio next week. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.